Let's be honest. Don't you hate it when someone else gets a good deal that you think you've missed out on? The most trivial real-life example that I can think of this past week is when I saw that some people got the local strawberries for $4 per quart when I paid $8. <laughs> I was a bit envious. But as the stakes get higher, the discomfort increases in this world of good deals. Someone else gets the great deal on a used road bike that was the exact sort of bike that you wanted, but you weren't willing to pay full price for it. Or someone else these days gets an obscene amount of money when selling a house while you're still paying the mortgage. Now let's get off the subject of money and deal with real-life disappointments this year for lots of nice progressive people, or should I say Episcopalians, as in the following. A politician from a very conservative state does away with all pandemic restrictions and then the infection rate subsequently does not go up. <laughs> That's when envy turns into demonization. If you think that sort of behavior is not occurring, then go back and read the article in The Atlantic a couple of months ago about a professor at Brown University who wrote that, from what we now understand about the COVID virus and given how many people are getting vaccinated, it would probably be okay to take one's children on vacation this summer. The response of one very angry Atlantic reader was to accuse her of, quote, genocidal encouragement. It's so tough when one's own prejudices are not confirmed, but rather are overturned. In truth, being upset that someone else might be getting a better deal is the way that we humans have always been. After all, envy made the list of the seven deadly sins a long time ago. Someone else is always getting that better deal. The Hebrew Bible is full of such stories. Hagar, the slave and mistress, gets pregnant while the devoted wife Sarah stays barren. The younger son Esau gets the father's blessing while the older son Jacob is left without it. The people of Israel, ruled merely by a judge, are upset that everybody else around them gets to have a king. Frustrating cases of someone else getting a better deal. It appears that envy, though, did not die with the arrival of the Christian Testament as people started seeing the resurrected Christ and gardeners and fishermen and scared disciples two days after what we would call these days Good Friday. Today we get one more story about envy in the book of Acts. In this story, we are told that the first Jewish Christians were astounded that God's Spirit was resting on people who had not followed Jewish religious laws or more literally in the original text, the first Christians were beside themselves. They were envious of someone else, just like we are when someone doesn't have to pay the price that we've had to pay, be it in dollars or required conduct. Lately, I've been reading several books on race relations in America, one of which is by Heather Cox Richardson. She says that one of the important founding myths of this nation was the story of the independent, 
hardworking, and I will add white, farmer who had the ability to prosper in this new land by all that hard work. From that historic myth comes the result even 300 years later that we who have prospered still get beside ourselves when any proposal arises to support people who historically never had the advantages that we've had. Why should someone else get a good deal that we weren't given? In the mirror that's being held up by the biblical story in Acts, we prosperous people who earned what we have are today's examples of those very first disciples turned Christians. Holy Scripture always ends up being about us. No wonder that in this story in Acts, Peter had to order the Gentiles to be baptized. He was a follower of Jesus who got the message after his own embarrassing actions prior to Jesus' crucifixion. If he could be a follower, then I guess anybody could. He now called for setting aside of social and religious hierarchies, even if the action would cause the first Christians to get beside themselves, so to speak. At that moment, baptism became the sign of what had taken place in the lives of the Gentiles with whom Peter had been working, in much the same way that it becomes a sign when we baptize. In baptism, we're not magically turning people into Christians, nor in confirmation are we magically turning people into Episcopalians, so much as we are simply acknowledging that God is active in the lives of everyone, declaring them part of the family no matter what. These actions are our witness to the world that God is always present in the lives of a vast variety of people. We in the church need to acknowledge that truth for the sake of our own health so that we might be cured of the sin of envy. And we in the church need to find a way to help people outside the church come to know that truth in their own lives. It's a health issue like everything else that's taking place in this pandemic. After all, for the religious and the irreligious alike, envy does nothing but make us miserable and likely leads to an early death. This is still Easter season, and we still have a lot to learn about resurrection. We need to find fresh ways to talk about it in this day and age. What if we started to tell anyone who doesn't understand what Christianity is about, or for that matter, tell anyone who's turned away from Christianity after seeing how it's been corrupted by political greed, what if we tell all those people that to be resurrected is simply and profoundly to be given new eyesight, a new way to look at other people, to see everyone as, well, equals. That's what Peter was finally seeing after he had taken a look into an empty tomb. In the end, there was no need for those first century disciples turned Christians to be envious. The story tells us that the Spirit came down on everyone. Those first followers of Christ simply couldn't see it yet, 
as the universal gift that they were receiving as well. They were still trying to figure out what resurrection looks like and we're still doing the same 2,000 years later. We're growing into it. We are growing into finding salvation and health. We are growing into seeing what wholeness can look like in a world that's so unhealthy. To do so, we're going to keep baptizing and we're going to keep confirming all sorts and conditions of folk to remind us of that truth. And one of these days, we'll finally get it. Amen.